If you have your Bible, will you please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Psalms, the 139th Psalm. It seems like it was some time ago that we began uh, working through the Psalm, the 139th, and for three, the last three weeks we've had our missions uh, Sundays, and we've had three missionaries come through, and so we almost finished our psalm and uh, today we will do that. This morning we are looking at Psalm 139 and the last stanza of this psalm in verses 19 through 24. So this morning I'm going to read for us Psalm 139, 19 through 24. We will pray and then hear what God would have us to hear. Listen to God's Word. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the holy word of God. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning very simply to ask that you would speak to us for your servants are hearing. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to believe what we hear and to be obedient hearers and doers of the word. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. For many of you, we're not here for the first four looks at this psalm. And for your sake and for everybody else who has not heard anything or thought anything about Psalm 139 for about a month, Uh, We will just refresh our memory just for a brief moment. Psalm 139, a very uh, very powerful, a very beautiful psalm. And for the first 18 verses, David the psalmist has written of the glorious attributes of his Creator and our God. In verse 1 through 6 is what we can call stanza number 1. And in the first stanza, David writes about the omniscience of God. Not simply a generic or a general knowing that God knows all things, but rather, very personally, God knows everything about me. Then as he moves into stanza number 2 in verse number 7, he begins to speak of the great omnipresence of God. That God is everywhere, but once again it is presence, that God is everywhere at all times, but rather that God is with me. Everywhere I am, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I, uh, if I say the darkness will cover me, he says, even there your hand will lead me and your hand will hold me. Then in stanza number 3, beginning in verse number uh, 16, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 12, uh, 13, uh, God, God is praised for the, the marvelous creative work that He has done. That God has not only made all things one description, the first stanza, God knows all purpose of God, that God has made all things for His purpose. 
that God has made all people, great and small, for His divine purpose. It's a beautiful poem. It's beautiful language and a beautiful confession of God's glorious attributes. But then, verse 19 seems to take a sudden and dark turn. He's praised God for how beautiful and glorious God is, and then begins in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, God. Men of blood, depart from me. And he goes on and begins to switch the language from uh, the, the, the beautiful attributes of God to the wickedness of creation. And verses 19-24 through 24 begin to talk about judgment and loathing and hatred rather than praise and glory. For many people, they see a great tension here. In these verses, triumphalism. Life is not all about being uh, happy, happy, happy. If you've lived any length of, of life, you know that life has downs as well as ups. Life does have disappointments. There are tears. There is pain. There is suffering. The reality is that we live in a fallen world where there are as many dark days as there are bright days. But, as in light of this psalm, reality also tells us that there is a God who knows everything. There is a God who is everywhere. There is a God who has a divine purpose for all that He does. But there are people in this world that are not happy about it. And that's what this psalm is here to remind us. That not everybody is excited about an all-knowing, ever-present, divinely purposing Creator, God. Psalm 139 acknowledges this God while not forgetting the fact that not everybody is on His side. It acknowledges that there is sin in this world and it is a prayer that God will make it right again. These are not vengeful prayers. These are not spiteful prayers. Rather, these are prayers for God to do what He has already promised He would do. As we read these imprecations, these psalms of cursing, David is not just coming up with punishments he wants God to do on the enemies. He is saying, God, You said this is what would happen to your enemies. Do it. Make it so. Just as you promised to bless your people and curse those who curse your people, may it be so. Do it now, God. And I was, I was reading in, in one commentary this week, and one of them said, the abrupt change in the psalm from reverie to resolve is disturbing, but wholly biblical in its realism. This is real life. And there's a question that is being asked and answered in this psalm. I want us to consider the question this morning. and At the end, we will try to see if we can answer that in our own hearts. The question that must be asked and answered is this. Whose side are you on? Who is on the Lord's side? Now, this is not a question that has only been asked in Psalm 139. This has been asked all throughout the Scriptures. Back in Exodus 32, 
when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the, the Ten Commandments from God and he had come down the mountain and he had seen the golden calf that the people had built and were worshiping and offering sacrifices to, Moses slams the Ten Commandments on the ground to symbolically show you have broken God's law. And he asks this question, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And that day, a line was drawn in the sand. And many people died because they had chosen to side against God. Later on in Joshua, as we read this morning from Joshua, uh, Joshua's famous uh, call of, of, in 24-14, choose you this day whom you will serve. He's asking the same question. Which side will you be? Which side? On the Lord's side or on the side of the false gods of your fathers, of the people in the land that we dwell? And he says, as for me and my house... We will serve Yahweh. We will serve the Lord. Another famous uh, instance of this question comes from the prophet Elijah. Do you remember when uh, there was a contest between the prophets of Baal <clears throat> excuse me, and the prophet Elijah, and they were going to see which God would answer uh, a prayer by fire, by sending fire from heaven and consuming a sacrifice. And You can read about it in 1 Kings 18. But for all day, uh, for many hours, the prophets of Baal uh, danced around this, this, this sacrifice uh, waiting for the, the God of, 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 their, 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 of Baal to uh, answer by fire and consume their sacrifice. And, and, and it wouldn't happen. And so Elijah steps forward and with a very short prayer in just a matter of moments, calls down fire from the sky, from God above, to consume a sacrifice. And in that time, he says these words to the people of Israel, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. Once again, the question was being presented to the people, whose side are you on? This is the question that David will answer. In the end of his psalm, whose side are you on? As I said, there's a line that has been drawn in the sand, and people have taken sides, one with God, one against God, and many have sided against God, many have sided with God. Now look in, in the psalm, if you will, at how David describes these people who have sided against God. These are the people who, knowing where the line is, have said, we're on the other side of it. We want no part of this God of Israel, this God of heaven and earth. He says in verse number, uh, well, if we, if we take an overview of the whole psalm, we see that these are the people that do not delight in God's knowledge in verses 1-6. through six. These are the people that do not take a rest and comfort in the ever-presence of the God of heaven. These are the people who reject the divine purpose of verses 13 and 18. These are those who rebel against God. Like Psalm 2, these are the people who have set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. And they have said, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. We want no restrictions placed on us by this God. We want nothing to do with this God. David describes them as wicked people in verse number 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked God. They are not just wicked, they are men of blood. Literally, they are bloodthirsty. They are violent people. This, uh, this bloodthirsty men denotes a lack of respect for life and a regard for justice and righteousness. Proverbs 29, verse 10 says that the bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. 
Those who are bloodthirsty, violent people do not like people who are living the right way. They do not like the blameless people. But Psalm 5 says that God abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. See that line that's been drawn. And we have God. We have bloodthirsty men. We see David continues to describe them in verse number 20 as people who speak against God. They don't just have a hatred in their hearts. It comes out in their language. It comes out in their words. And notice, they speak against you with malicious intent, with wicked plans. They are out to get God. They're not just in passive resistance of God. They are in active opposition to God. We want to bring you down. We hate God. We want to finish Him and be finished with Him. They are the enemies of God in verse number 20. These are those who take God's name in vain. They hate God. They rise up against God in verse number 21. And notice now that their hatred for God is not just revealed in their speech, but also in their actions. As I said, this is not just passive resistance. This is not just the people that say, you know what, I don't really care for that God. I don't really like that God. They said, I'm going to do everything in my power to put an end to this God. We have chosen sides and we have stood on the opposition to God. This is mutiny. This is high treason against the king of the universe. Against their own maker. So notice what David prays then. As we read this as, as the prayer that it is. Because in this psalm, we see that David confesses his loyalty and his commitment to God. David says, I know the side that they've taken. But I want you to know, God, where I stand. I stand with God. I am on the Lord's side. And as David goes through these verses, he confesses his personal loyalty and his commitment to God by taking up God's cause, by saying he wants to happen what God has said he wants to happen, by, by desiring what God desires. He says that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Uh, they, uh, they speak against you, God, with malicious intent, and your enemies take your name in vain. Now, up to this point, David has been praising God for His wonderful works and His divine qualities. But now, David is simply praying, God, Your will be done. Fulfill Your purpose. Do what You would do. Bring just judgment upon those who would dare defy You. And I want you to notice, first of all, that as David confesses his loyalty and his allegiance to God, he first prays that God would slay the wicked. God would slay the wicked. He says, I, I, want, I want you to put an end to them. He says, depart from me, you men of blood. This is, I want no association with you. I want nothing to do with you. You've chosen to be on the opposite side of God. And God has been very clear that those who stand against Him are condemned and stand guilty before Him. They will suffer His just judgment. I want no part of that. Depart from me. He perfectly hates these guys. He loathes those who hate God and rise up against Him. This word loathe there means to grieve or to feel disgust. And, and, and just to make sure that we understand what he means, does David really mean he hates those guys? He says, I hate them with a complete hatred. 
a perfect, full-to-the-top hatred. God's enemies have become David's enemies. Just as the wicked have chosen to side against God, David has chosen to side with God and against the enemies of God. This is not mere national prejudice or ethnic prejudice or rivalry. No, it is based on loyalty to God. David does not say, I hate these people because they're not Jews. I hate these people because they're not like me. He says, I am standing against them because they have stood against you, God. Your enemies have become my enemies, and it is because they will not submit to you, God, that I have made them my own enemies. In Psalm 119, verse 158, the psalmist says, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. It's not about prejudice, racial, or, 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 or my subjective feelings. It's very objective. They defy you, God. I don't like that. I, I, they ought to be obeying you. They're your creation. They're your people. They should be obeying, and they are not. And I loathe that. David prays then that God would slay the wicked. But then notice, secondly, before we rush too far into that, David makes some striking comment very immediately. He says in verse number 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Because not only does David's commitment to God cause him to pray, first of all, that God would slay the wicked, it also causes him to search the worshiper. David says, search me now, God. I want to make sure that I'm not like that. I want to make sure that I don't do the same things that they're doing. Because David was not just concerned with the sin around him. David was concerned with the sin within him. Because David recognized that he is capable of committing the same rebellious atrocities against God as the enemies of God can. David is not somehow better than they are. David is a fallen creature just like they are. And David knows, if it not for the grace of God, there go I. And David says, I want you to provide just judgment for the, the enemies, but I want to make sure, God, I'm on the right side. God, make search me. Know me. Try me. This is not a hypocritical prayer. If we can use the, the words of, of, of the New Testament, David is aware of the log that is in his own eye. He's not just aware of all the other people's sins. He has looked in his own heart and realized, my heart too is wicked. My heart too is desperately evil. My heart too is unknowable. God, search it. Search me. I do not want to be guilty of the same sins as your enemies. And then he says, lead me in right paths. See if there's any, anything in me that would be the wicked way. Notice there's two ways he describes here in verse 24. A grievous way and an everlasting way. There is a way that leads to life. There is a way that leads to death. There is a way that leads to light. There is a way that leads to darkness. God, and God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1.6 David says, I want to walk in the everlasting way. God, lead me. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. 
Now as we read the psalm, this psalm and any other psalm that we read, it's important that we hear the voice of the psalmist in the psalm. You don't rush immediately and say, how can this help me? But first of all, what was the, the writer trying to say? What is the writer saying? It's very obvious what he's saying here. But we hear in the voice of David a desired commitment of, and loyalty to God. David wants it to be completely plain and clear. I am with God. I am loyal to God. I am committed to, to Yahweh. And there are many psalms like that. Uh, the, the psalms are scattered with commitments and declarations of allegiance to God and to, to the, the, the shepherd of Israel. And if, we, if you were to look at the beginning of the psalm, uh, there's a superscript above uh, verse number 1 that says, to the choir master, which means that David had written this psalm and delivered it to the song leader, if you will, of, the, of Israel and says, I want you to... I want this to be sung. I want this to be heard. I want Israel to know these words so that Israel might echo this with me. They might sing these, these words of loyalty and commitment to God as well. And so as David would sing these songs, and as the people of Israel would sing these, song, these psalms, they would declare their own commitment to God. They would declare their own loyalty and their own pledge of allegiance, if you will, to God. But don't think about it. Neither King David nor Israel could sing or pray these words without knowing that if God were to search them and to know them, which He does, He would certainly find grievous ways in them. They would be found wanting. There would be sin in their hearts. There would be wickedness within them because they're not perfect. Many times throughout the Old Testament, Israel is described as an adulterous people. To be an adulteress means the epitome of being unfaithful. And that's how God described His own people. It doesn't take a, a, a very deep history of even the life of David to know that he often failed. Not just, not just as, a, as a man, but as a leader, as a husband, as a friend, he failed. He killed a man who was loyal to him so he could steal his wife. He, he was responsible for the deaths of many innocent Israelites because of his own pride. There were certainly grievous ways in David's heart. How could David say these words? Because they were a desired commitment. I want to be loyal to you, God. I desire it even though I know I'm not sometimes. But just as we hear David's voice in the Psalms, as Christians, we also look to hear Jesus' voice in these Psalms. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus is Jewish? And Jesus for 33 years would have sung these Psalms, not in English, but He would have sung these Psalms. He would have sung, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? He would have said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If David's voice was one of desired commitment and loyalty to God, then Jesus' voice is one of perfect commitment and loyalty to God. 
Only Jesus could pray this psalm without fear of what God would find when He searched and knew Him. Only Jesus knew that He was perfectly obedient to God's will. He had come to do God's will and that's all He did was the will of God. He never once strayed from the will of God. He never once disobeyed God. He never once thought uh, an unholy thought or said an unkind word. Jesus was obedient. Jesus was loyal and faithful to the covenant God, His Father. Now, as we've heard the voice of David, as we heard the voice of Jesus, how can we as Christians add our voice to this psalm? The psalms were given for us to know, for us to sing. It's important even that we sing these psalms and pray these prayers and make these declarations and these confessions and and all of the things that the psalms include. How can we add our voice to this psalm? Well, we pledge allegiance to our God and to Jesus, our King. We pray for God to search us and to try us and to know us and to lead us. But like David and like all of Israel and every other person save one who's ever uttered these words, we know we don't keep these things perfectly as we should. We often cross that line. We often stand and do the things that the enemies of God do. Though our lips may say one thing, our actions often say another. But as Christians... As those who are in Christ, we look to Jesus, believing His promise that He obeyed for us. And when we pray, God search me and know me, we know that God does search us and know us and sees in us a righteousness that is not our own. We see He sees an imputed righteousness, a righteousness that is by faith through Jesus Christ. Like David, we desire to live faithful, committed lives. And we rely on the indwelling Spirit of God to seal us because we know that we will not keep ourselves. The Spirit has been given to those in Christ to seal them, to preserve them until the day of redemption. And now, as we wait for that day, we declare our allegiance a king and rest in him because he makes us righteous before God. Now in just a few moments that we have, I want to just give you five uses for this psalm. How can we use this psalm? What can we do with this psalm very practically? And I, and I, for sake of time, I won't spend much time on any of them, but let me just share with you five uses for the psalm. First of all, let us look to Christ as we read these psalms and rest in His righteousness and in His salvation. Because our commitments and our obedience and our efforts fall short every single time. In just a moment, we'll sing this psalm. At least the first two verses. We'll sing this. And very shortly, every one of us will break that commitment when we sin. But we rest in Christ because only He provides needed righteousness to escape just judgment. Secondly, we declare our allegiance. 
Though we know we will not keep this perfectly as we ought, we still do it. We still declare our loyalty and our allegiance and our commitments to God. We hate evil like David did, like God does, like Jesus does. We love righteousness and hate iniquity. It's not enough for us to say that we love good. Because if we truly love good, we will hate sin. So, while I would ask, do you love good? Do you love God? We would also want to ask, do I hate sin? We must not excuse or entertain our sin. We must not make a room for sin in our lives, but as we are confronted with it and as we are convicted by it, we must do the work of confession and repentance and find that God will sanctify us and remove those things from our lives. We must learn to see sin as God sees it. God does not see it as slip-ups. God does not see sin as just a little white lie, a little sin and a big sin. Sin. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. James 4.4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Which side are we on? Thirdly, Pray for cleansing and sanctification and rely on the Spirit to do the work in us. Because we have the Spirit. There is a desire for holiness, but we need the Spirit to produce it within us. That's the confession. That's the repentance. That's finding the assurance and the rest in the work of Christ. Fourthly, when we look at all the evil in the world around us, when we look at the sin, when we look at the enemies of God, We let God be the judge and not us. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay. It is not for us to cast the judgment. So then we can pray for our enemies. We can do good to them. We can commit ourselves to the just judge knowing that on the last day, not one sin will be unpunished. No one will get away with anything that they've done. It may seem like it now. Someone may live a wicked life and commit some gross sin and and, and get away with it and die in peace, but they will not escape the just judge. They will not escape the God who sees everything, who knows everything, who is everywhere. There will be justice. The scales will be balanced. So finally, last we can then pray for the kingdom to come and for His will to be done. Have you ever thought about that in the Lord's prayers? We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We are praying for judgment on the enemies of God. Because if we believe that God will destroy His enemies and God will redeem and rescue His people, every time we pray, God, bring the kingdom. We know that there are those who are in defiance of that kingdom. And they will fight tooth and nail to the very last. They will lose because they are in rebellion against God. But when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying for just judgment. But sometimes, and if you are a Christian this morning, then you are a 
direct witness to this, that sometimes God destroys his enemies by saving them, by turning enemies into sons. If you're a Christian today, God destroyed his enemy by making you no longer an enemy, but by making you a son. He has made his enemies his children. At one time, we once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God defeated us, not by damning us, but by redeeming us. And we pray for God to put an end to the wicked. And in doing so, we can pray that God will redeem them, turn their hearts toward Him. So we must answer the question then. Who is on the Lord's side? Will you stand in defiance against the sovereign King? Will you stand with an ungodly world that is in rebellion to God? Or will you repent? Will you bow the knee to Christ? Acknowledge your sin and your deserved wrath from a holy God. Will you believe in the only Son of God who was sent into the world to redeem sinners, to pay the ransom for sin, so that his enemies might become beloved children. If you say that you are on the Lord's side this morning, and I hope that you do, are we living in a way that shows that we love righteousness and hate sin? Are we hating the sin that is in us as much as we hate the sin that is around us? Are we looking to Christ Resting in His righteousness, not our own. May we pray then that God will continue to defeat His enemies by making them sons and daughters by the powerful working of the Spirit through faith in His Son. Let us pray. Holy Father, we do thank You that You have brought us into the family. There was nothing within any of us that brought us by our own merit. There was nothing within us that caused you to look favorably upon us. Not one ounce of goodness, not one ounce of, of lovableness in us, but only by your grace and your mercy did you send the Son to redeem us. And there are many more to come into the family. We understand that by nature, all of us are on the opposing side of you. By nature, we all rebel. We all are in defiance. And yet, by your sovereign election, by your sovereign grace, you bring us to yourself. And you make us want to love you and want to see the evil destroyed in our own lives and put an end in the world. We care about what you care about. 
Father, we pray that as we first go through from here, that we might live in a way that will please You. That will show that we truly do love righteousness. We love good. And we hate the evil. We want no part of it in our own lives. And even pray that it might be put to an end around us. That we might share the good news of the Gospel that made a radical change in our lives, that it might do it in others' lives, and that others who are enemies might be made friends, sons, co-heirs with Christ. We pray that as we go from here, and this, this commitment is fresh on our lips, we pray that it might, it might be proven true in our actions. But when inevitably we fail, Father, we look to Christ and remember that it was never because of us. It was never our faithfulness, but your great faithfulness to us, to your promise. May we find the hope and the healing and the rest and the faithfulness of Jesus for us. Bless your people, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.